Welcome to A Star Witness. Hello everyone, this is Kayla bringing another episode and today's discussion is actually a continuation of last week's. But before I explain further, let's have a word of prayer so that the Lord will be with us. So with that, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for life and health and for giving us a clear defining message in your word. Thank you that we are able to learn so much about the history of what has gone before so that we are aware and cannot make the mistakes of our brethren so that we can triumph over evil with your help. Lord, help us to gain the victory. Help us day by day to become more like you. Please help us to open our hearts to truths, whether it's easy or not for us to accept it. Help us to draw nigh to you and please draw nigh to us. We thank you for hearing and answering our prayer. We ask all these things in your precious Holy Son's name. Amen. So last week on the podcast, we talked about angels and the unseen world. And as I was thinking about it, I realized that there's another side to this. There's so many misconceptions about Satan that it needs to be talked about. We talked about that there is good and evil angels and established that. But the fact of the matter is that Satan is extremely underestimated. So many people have a lot of misconceptions. They think it's some red demon with a tail and a pitchfork. And they don't really understand what he's actually doing with his time. They think he's just poking his pitchfork at people in hell and tormenting them and doing who knows what else. And that's just not the case because A, there is no hell right now. And B, you don't go anywhere when you die. You are asleep in the grave, which I will be covering in a future podcast. I also have blogs about that as well. If you want to go and read it on my blog, it's Dead Men Tell No Tales and Life After Death. So I want to get into these misconceptions, not to glorify Satan or anything like that, but so that people really truly know what to expect from the great deceiver so they aren't deceived in the future. I mean, you have to know your enemy for he knows you very well. Even people who go to war say, know thy enemy, so that you are not taken unawares. You know what to expect. And the Lord is much stronger than the devil, remember that. And he wants us to be prepared so that we can cast away the evil, so that we can quote scriptures and stand assured and not be afraid when strange things happen. We can call on the name of Jesus. So I think a great place to start is at the very beginning, the creation of Satan. And although when Satan was first created, he was not as he is now, he still holds a lot of the same qualities. And we'll get into that in a little bit. First of all, he had a different name back then. His name was Lucifer, which means the morning light or light bearer. I mean, let's see what the Bible has to say about what he looked like and how it connects with how he became who he is now. So if you want to turn to your Bibles in Ezekiel 28 verses 13 through 18, it says this, Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardis, topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes were prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, 
and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created, till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore I will cast thee as profound out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings, that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee, it shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. These verses right here are talking about Satan, and you can tell this by a few featuring points. One, it says that he was there in the Garden of Eden, and two, it calls him the covering cherub, which that's what Lucifer was before he fell and became the Prince of Darkness. And it says that he was very beautiful. All of these beautiful gems that are given as a description, he wore them, it sounds like, I mean, he was very beautiful. He was the head of all of the angels in heaven. He was the covering cherub, which means he stood right beside God in his throne. He knew the law of God better than all of the angels. You had two covering cherubs, one standing on the right hand and one on the left. And both of these angels were like first and second command of all the other angels. Well, Lucifer, also known as Satan now, he was the top angel. He was number one. He was in charge of letting the angels know what their jobs were, of keeping everything in order, knowing the law of God, and not enforcing it, but teaching it so that others, they would all know what it was. And they looked up to him. It was their leader. I mean, they were very close with each other. They were all of them one big happy family. And they looked to him and went for him for advice. And then one day, who knows how it happened, he was walking along and he looked at himself and everything started to change. He grew very prideful. He started to become jealous and wanted the position of God. He wanted to be included in the secret conferences of the Godhead. And then he became very unhappy and he started thinking that he wanted more than what he was given. So he started going around to the other angels and he put questions in doubts in their minds about God. He started twisting the law of God and saying that if God was really love, then the law should be changed and that he should be included. He should be given as much power as Jesus was given. And he also made them question whether God's law was necessary. He wanted them to think that God didn't require all of these laws because he loved them, but because they were to obey him and he wanted just to be controlling and vindictive and have all these rules and regulations. But Satan knew better. And this is when his whole character started changing. 
he had the opportunity to repent, but he didn't. And he, at first, convinced half of the angels to be on his side. And they were starting to ask questions as well. But the other half, who weren't deceived and knew what was going on because everybody was talking about it and knew what was going on. And that's when things became super hectic. So these other half of the angels who weren't listening to what Satan was talking about, they started talking to the other half of the angels and trying to convince them and say, hey, what Satan is saying is wrong. God is a God of love. He wants us to be obeying his law because he does love us. He knows what's best for us. They showed them the error of their ways. Gabriel was there too. He was the second one in charge. And I'm sure he went to Lucifer many times and tried to talk to him about what he was doing. I mean, they were probably the best of best friends. They were very close. They shared a job of the covering angel. And when the other half of the angels went to the ones who had doubts, it actually helped persuade some of them back. But unfortunately, one third of the angels still sided with Satan. And it says it in Revelation how he cast one third of the stars out of heaven. That's talking about the angels, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Every angel had a job in heaven, like I said before. And the station which Satan had once occupied was called the cherubim. And then you had the seraphims. They were next in line. Like you have the CEO, which would be the Godhead obviously, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and then you'd have the covering angels, which was Lucifer and Gabriel. Then when Lucifer fell, Gabriel took Lucifer's place, and we don't know, we're not told who took Gabriel's place, so there were still two covering cherubs, and the seraphims were next in line. They were under the cherubs, and then you had just the angels, and each of them have jobs to do. I mean, now, like we talked about last week, there's messengers, there's angels who write records of everything we do say and think they're guardian angels there's angels who we don't even know what their jobs are maybe their jobs are to go to the other worlds and look in on them I mean honestly we don't know everything that is going on up there and all of the jobs and the descriptions of what has to be done but I'm sure there's a lot maybe some of those angels are helping build the city of the Lord I don't know we're not told that But what we are told is that they do have each of them jobs and positions. And until Satan came along, all were happy with what they were given to do. All of them were very satisfied, whether it was something small or something huge. Like, he had the most high position, yet he became unhappy with it. And then they started to question. One third of the angels started to want something more than what they currently had. They wanted a better position. They wanted to be their own boss. They wanted what Satan was promising them. They didn't realize how deep of a hole they were getting themselves into at first. But the Bible tells us that it was pride that brought Lucifer down. And this is how he became Satan. It says in Isaiah 14, 12 through 16, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet thou 
shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee, and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms? See, it was all about I, I, I. Pride goeth before a fall. And we see this in this situation because this is the first instance of sin, of pride. This was the root of everything. Satan wanted what was not his. He wanted as much power as God himself. And he was going to get it however he could. So there was war in heaven. In Revelation 12, 7 through 9, it says, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now, Michael is another name for Jesus here, but I won't go into that right now. But this is where Satan became Satan. This is where he lost the name Lucifer. And this is the beginning of sorrows. The prince of darkness was born. And when Satan fell from heaven, we all know what happened next and how he went to the Garden of Eden after the world was created. Because it wasn't until after this war was over that earth was created. God created the earth to help cheer up everyone concerned in heaven after the war that just went on and losing a third of their friends. I mean, these were their family, but they had their opportunity to turn back, but they didn't do it. Satan convinced them not to do it. And now they could not care less. They love doing all of the evil, dark things that they do. So obviously people then ask, well, if Satan's name was changed, what about the way that he looks? Surely that's when his appearance started to change. No, it isn't. He stayed the exact same. And he and his angels have the ability to transform themselves into whatever and whoever they want. So... If Satan actually wanted to, he could transform himself into the image that he portrays himself as. He's the one who gave the idea of this red creature with a pointy tail and a pitchfork. So if he wanted to, he could appear as such to deceive people who don't know any better. Or he can transform himself into dead relatives or... An animal, he talked through the serpent in the Garden of Eden. And in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, it says, And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. This is why it's very important for us to know the truth. Because he can transform himself into an angel of light and portray himself as being a good angel. This is why we must study and show ourselves approved so that when Satan or one of his demons transforms themselves into an angel of light, we can know the difference by what they're saying and by what they're telling us. And this answers the question about how he looks. I mean, he's still a noble creature. He's of noble stature. Remember, evil can hide in a beautiful package. There have been many serial killers and evil people out there who are very good looking, yet they are the most evil people you will ever meet. Angels can also masquerade as people. 
Remember that. So there could be demons in the crowd. I mean, remember, it says in the Desire of Ages that there were demons in the crowd disguising themselves as people, egging the people on to say louder and louder, crucify him at Pilate's judgment hall. So they can masquerade as human beings. Good angels can also do this as well. Remember in Hebrews 13:2, it says, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. So it's not just the bad angels that can go around doing this. Good angels can do it as well. So you never know. You might have also met a good angel along the way and never have realized it. This is why it's very important to know this stuff. And remember, he starts these misconceptions himself because he would rather you to believe these lies than to know the truth. Because if you know the truth, then you cannot be deceived. And Ellen White was shown how Satan actually looks as he is now. After 6,000 plus years of being evil and doing all these wicked acts, she describes how he is. And it's chilling because it's just the description of evil. And that's just scary. I was shown Satan as he once was, a happy, exalted angel. Then I was shown him as he now is. He still bears a kingly form. His features are still noble, for he is an angel fallen. But the expression of his countenance is full of anxiety, care, unhappiness, malice, hate, mischief, deceit, and every evil. That brow which was once so noble, I particularly noticed. His forehead commenced from his eyes to recede. I saw that he had so long bent himself to evil that every good quality was debased and every evil trait was developed. His eyes were cunning, sly, and showed great penetration. His frame was large, but the flesh hung loosely about his hands and face. As I beheld him, his chin was resting upon his left hand. He appeared to be in deep thought. A smile was upon his countenance, which made me tremble. It was so full of evil and satanic slyness. This smile is the one he wears just before he makes sure of his victim. And as he fastens the victim in his snare, this smile grows horrible. That's found in EW 152.3. This is exactly how he looks nowadays. He is evil impersonated. He is still has that kingly features, but he is also ruined by being evil. He is not somebody you would want to meet on the street. I mean, I don't know if you've ever encountered somebody who you just get goosebumps around. You can't explain why, but something just is off and you're not sure, but you get such a creepy feeling in your spine. I've had that happen to me before and it's very scary. You just kind of want to run away out of the room and don't look back. But Jesus is stronger and the Lord is so beautiful and so kind and you can cast the devil out by saying his name and by calling on the name of Jesus, by singing praises, by praying, and by being with the Lord, having the Lord in your heart and in your soul. This is why it's important to be on the right side. This brings us to the point of what is he doing with his time nowadays? I mean, it's the same thing he's been doing throughout all of history, running to and fro across the world, 
seeking whom he may devour and deceiving the nations. Remember the story of Job. He went to the council and the Lord's like, what have you been up to? I'm paraphrasing, but you can go read it for yourself in Job chapter one. But the Lord's like, what have you been up to? And Satan's like, oh, I've just been running here and there, walking across the world, you know. He is going all across the world trying to seek any soul he can. He's not afraid of those people who are already in his clutches. No, he's after the ones that are not in his clutches. Satan and his evil angels are trying to manipulate and tempt every single person on this planet so they don't have to pay the price and the consequences for their sins. When we sin and we don't confess that sin and if something were to happen to us, our probation closes and that means we're lost, that also means we pay the price for our sins. I mean, Satan still has to pay the price of leading that person into sin, but that person also has to pay the price of willingly doing it themselves. And that's why he's also not in some place with fire, because right now he's concentrated on getting everybody he can on his side. So when does hell happen? Uh, you're going to have to stick around for another podcast to f find the answer to that question. It's going to be interesting. We'll really delve in and what it means when it says hell in certain situations. This is why it's important to not only work on your own soul, but to reach everyone you can. Because the Lord wants everyone to be saved. He doesn't want one soul to perish. But stay tuned because one of these days that is going to be on the podcast. In CTR, page 212, paragraphs 2 through 5, it says this, The great leading temptations wherewith we would be beset, Christ met and overcame in the wilderness. His coming off victor over appetite, presumption, and the world shows how we may overcome. Satan has overcome his millions in tempting the appetite and leading people to give up to presumptuous sins. There are many who profess to be followers of Christ, claiming by their faith to be enlisted in the warfare against all evil in their nature, yet who, with hardly a thought, plunge into scenes of temptation that would require a miracle to bring them forth unsullied. Meditation and prayer would have preserved them and led them to shun the dangerous positions in which they have placed themselves and that gave Satan the advantage over them. The promises of God are not for us to claim rashly, to protect us while we rush on recklessly into danger, violating the laws of nature, or disregarding prudence and the judgment God has given us to use. This would not be genuine faith, but presumption. The thrones and kingdoms of the world and the glory of them were presented to Christ. Never will we have temptations as strong as those that assailed him. But Satan comes to us with worldly honor, wealth, and the pleasures of life. These temptations are varied to meet people of every rank and degree, tempting them away from God to serve themselves more than their creator. All these things will I give thee, said Satan to Christ. All these things will I give thee, says Satan to us. All this money, this land, all this power, this honor, and these riches will I give thee. And we are charmed, deceived, and treacherously allured on to our ruin. If we give ourselves up to worldliness of heart and of life, Satan is satisfied. 
the Savior overcame the wily foe, showing us how we may overcome. He has left us his example to repel Satan with scripture. He might have had recourse to his own divine power and used his own words, but his example would not then have been as useful to us. Christ used only scripture. How important that the word of God be thoroughly studied and followed, that in case of emergency, we may be thoroughly furnished unto all good works, and especially fortified to meet the wily foe. Read these things for yourself. These are amazing words. Praise the Lord for giving us the spirit of prophecy because these words are exactly what we need to hear. We can overcome. We can do this. We're told of all of the things that Satan will give us and a lot of people are charmed and deceived into it. He dresses up a jailhouse so prettily and so nice, but one of these days all of that stuff will fade away and the jail cell will close and we'll realize we can no longer escape that jail that we walked into willingly. I mean, if you look closely at a mirage, it's gonna fade away. All of the things that Satan promises us is just a mirage distracting us from what's really going on in the world. Time is short, people. We must get our lives in order. We must get our act together. And I'm speaking about myself as well. I need to change too. There are things in my character that I need to work on. We need to pray for each other and, and pray for ourselves. And we need to work on ourselves every moment of every day. And I encourage you to read from the story of redemption. Read the full book. It's amazing. It describes the history of heaven and behind the scenes. Read it for yourselves. That book is fantastic. But I will read the first chapter of the fall of Lucifer. So it might be a little bit repetitive of what I said earlier, but you'll really get to see the full picture of behind the scenes of how it actually went down. It's truly amazing. I love reading this book over and over again because it's just so rich and, and so amazing. And the history is awesome. It's like you were actually there and you can see what actually happened before this earth was created. So here it begins. Lucifer in heaven before his rebellion was a high and exalted angel, next in honor to God's dear son. His countenance, like those of the other angels, were mild and expressive of happiness. His forehead was high and broad, showing a powerful intellect. His form was perfect, his bearing noble and majestic. A special light beamed in his countenance and shone around him brighter and more beautiful than around the other angels. Yet Christ, God's dear son, had the preeminence over all the angelic host. He was once with the Father before the angels were created. Lucifer was envious of Christ and gradually assumed command which devolved on Christ alone. The great creator assembled the heavenly host that he might in the presence of all the angels confer special honor upon his son. The son was seated on the throne with the father and the heavenly throng of holy angels was gathered around them. The father then made known that it was ordained by himself that Christ his son should be equal with himself so that wherever was the presence of his son it was as his own presence. The word of the Son was to be obeyed as readily as the word of the Father. His Son he had invested with authority to command the heavenly host. 
Especially was his son to work in union with himself in the anticipated creation of the earth and every living thing that should exist upon the earth. His son would carry out his will and his purposes, but would do nothing of himself alone. The father's will would be fulfilled in him. Lucifer was envious and jealous of Jesus Christ. Yet when all the angels bowed to Jesus to acknowledge his supremacy and high authority and rightful rule, he bowed with them. But his heart was filled with envy and hatred. Christ had been taken into the special counsel of God in regard to his plans, while Lucifer was unacquainted with them. He did not understand, neither was he permitted to know the purposes of God. But Christ was acknowledged sovereign of heaven, his power and authority to be the same as that of God himself. Lucifer thought that he was himself a favorite in heaven among the angels. He had been highly exalted, but this did not call forth from him gratitude and praise to his creator. He aspired to the height of God himself. He gloried in his loftiness. He knew that he was honored by the angels. He had a special mission to execute. He had been near the great creator and the ceaseless beams of glorious light enshrouding the eternal God had shone especially upon him. He thought how angels had obeyed his command with pleasurable alacrity. Were not his garments light and beautiful? Why should Christ thus be honored before himself? He left the immediate presence of the Father, dissatisfied and filled with envy against Jesus Christ. Concealing his real purposes, he assembled the angelic host. He introduced his subject, which was himself, as one aggrieved. He related the preference God had given Jesus to the neglect of himself. He told them that henceforth all the sweet liberty the angels had enjoyed was at an end, for had not a ruler been appointed over them, to whom they from henceforth must yield servile honor? He stated to them that he had called them together to assure them that he no longer would submit to this invasion of his rights and theirs, that never would he again bow down to Christ, that he would take the honor upon himself which should have been conferred upon him, and would be the commander of all who would submit to follow him and obey his voice. I'm going to pause for a moment here and point out the fact that while he's blaming God and Christ for wanting to be rulers over the angels and to serve them unquestionably, he was doing the exact same thing that he was blaming them for. He wanted the angels to serve him instead. That's all there was to it. He wanted to be the commander and tell them what to do and for them to bow down and for other people to bow down to him as well. He wanted the worship. She continues, there was contention among the angels. Lucifer and his sympathizers were striving to reform the government of God. They were discontented and unhappy because they could not look into his unsearchable wisdom and ascertain his purposes in exalting his son and endowing him with such unlimited power and command. They rebelled against the authority of the sun. Angels that were loyal and true sought to reconcile this mighty rebellious angel to the will of his creator. 
They justified the act of God in conferring honor upon Christ, and with forcible reasoning sought to convince Lucifer that no less honor was his now than before the Father had proclaimed the honor which he had conferred upon his Son. They clearly set forth that Christ was the Son of God, existing with him before the angels were created, and that he had ever stood at the right hand of God, and his mild, loving authority had not heretofore been questioned, and that he had given no commands but what it was joy for the heavenly host to execute. They urged that Christ receiving special honor from the Father in the presence of the angels did not detract from the honor that Lucifer had heretofore received. The angels wept. They anxiously sought to move him to renounce his wicked design and yield submission to their creator. For all had heretofore been peace and harmony. And what could occasion this dissenting rebellious voice? Lucifer refused to listen. And then he turned from the loyal and true angels, denouncing them as slaves. These angels, true to God, stood in amazement as they saw that Lucifer was successful in his efforts to incite rebellion. He promised them a new and better government than they then had, in which all would be freedom. Great numbers signified their purpose to accept him as their leader and chief commander. As he saw his advances were met with success, he flattered himself that he should yet have all the angels on his side, and that he would be equal with God himself, and his voice of authority would be heard in commanding the entire host of heaven. Again, the loyal angels warned him and assured him what must be the consequences if he persisted, that he who could create the angels could by his power overturn all their authority and in some signal manner punish their audacity and terrible rebellion. To think that an angel should resist the law of God which was as sacred as himself. They warned the rebellious to close their ears to Lucifer's deceptive reasonings and advised him and all who had been affected by him to go to God and confess their wrong for even admitting a thought of questioning his authority. Many of Lucifer's sympathizers were inclined to heed the counsel of the loyal angels and repent of their dissatisfaction and be again received to the confidence of the father and his dear son. The mighty revolter then declared that he was acquainted with God's law, and if he should submit to servile obedience, his honor would be taken from him. No more would he be entrusted with his exalted mission. He told them that himself and they also had now gone too far to go back, and he would brave the consequences, for to bow in servile worship to the Son of God he never would, that God would not forgive, and now... They must assert their liberty and gain by force the position and authority which was not willingly accorded to them. Thus it was that Lucifer, the light bearer, the sharer of God's glory, the attendant of his throne, by transgression became Satan, the adversary. Those words are amazing. It goes into everything that happened. And then the next chapter talks about the war of heaven. It's really amazing to read it for yourself so you can grasp it and just try to picture yourself there to see all that went down. They were warned. Lucifer lied to these angels and told them that they had been too far gone. Only he was too far gone. But they believed him and a third of them did not repent. 
and they were cast out with Satan. But that also means that two-thirds are with God. So God has twice as many angels as the devil. We have nothing to fear with God on our side. Even if God only had one-third of the angels, he would still be more powerful than Satan. But that wasn't the case. And this is why we must share all of these misconceptions about Satan to the world, so that they're made aware. I mean, I don't want to be deceived in the last days. There's going to be so many things going on. Satan's going to make himself like Christ and walk on the earth. And we're told in the Bible, if people are going around saying, oh, look, there is Christ in the desert. We're not to go and look for him because we're told that Satan will be posing as Christ and other people will be posing as Christ. But we're also told that when Christ comes the second time to get his people, he's not going to touch the earth with his feet. We are given these words for a reason so that we are not deceived. We must study for ourselves these important truths and we must then share these truths with the world. So I encourage you to go and read them in your own time. There is a lot more to be said about what went on behind the scenes and what's going on right now. It's all still happening. He's still trying to deceive us. But we have someone who can be on our side who is much more powerful and who can keep us from doing wrong. So remember what it says in Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So with all that being said, let your light so shine that you are a star witness for the Lord.